Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your Pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a Pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries, no more time zone issues, just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com foundations to learn more. Welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. Today, I get to welcome back one of my favorite guests and one of the truly nicest people you will ever meet, Kirsten Butso, Senior Vice President at Houghton Mifflin Harcourt product management enthusiast, and former Pragmatic Instructor. Welcome, Kirsten. Thank you very much, Rebecca. Super excited as always to be here. It's just such a treat for me to get a little bit of reprieve from the day job and just come have a conversation with you about things that I think we're both passionate about. So what are we going to talk about today, Rebecca? Today, we are going to talk about something that I think every single one of us has struggled with, right? Which is sort of the how do sprints releases and launches, right? Sprint, release, launch, three different things. How do they How do they intersect? How do they work together? How do you define them? I think so much gets kind of lost in that shuffle. And I know just as we're, as we're trying to build out processes and you're trying to coordinate against different groups, those three concepts can feel like they, instead of intersecting, that they almost fight against each other. So, And I know this is something that you have worked on and taught on and done a ton of stuff on. So I think this is a great topic to talk on with you. Yeah. And, you know, I always wonder why is it so hard? Because on on paper, it really just shouldn't be that difficult to talk about sprints, releases, launch. What do they mean? What do they encompass? When is it appropriate to invoke one or the other? Who should be involved? And yet when you start to actually put it into practice, it's always definitively harder than it seems. And I think one of the reasons might be is we sometimes hyperfixate on maybe the terminology mm-hmm. and we sort of think about maybe trying to be pristine in our application of the definitions and what it is we're actually trying to accomplish can sometimes get lost in the shuffle. And so I think sometimes it's probably helpful to maybe just break it down by by, by what each one is at the core essence of it of its being, if that kind of makes sense, Rebecca. Absolutely. I think it's a perfect place to start. Like let's start setting some boundaries of what which one is in its purest form, and then we can talk about where we get lost and how we can help. Okay. So let's start with sprints. Because that's sort of our lowest common denominator. Oh, that sounds sort of judgy the way I said that. That's not a judgment. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, that is this. Here's a sprint. I'm going to break it down super easy. 
we have some work we got to get done. There's a bucket of work that has to be accomplished. And we can't get all the work done simultaneously at the exact same moment in time. So we need to say, okay, and when I say we in this conversation, so let's go back to my previous statement about identifying the who, right? This lives steadfastly within your engineering, your development organization. And they're saying to themselves, look, the product team has made it clear to me, hopefully, that there's a need or a problem in the marketplace that needs to be solved. They've clearly articulated what that problem is that needs to be solved. We've had a very healthy, iterative conversation back and forth. I now have clarity on the bucket of work that needs to be done. And I'm going to take that work and I'm going to partition it out into chunks of work because I can't get them all done at the same time. And I'm going to call those chunks of work sprints. And it's just that simple. You got to get some stuff done. Can't get all the stuff done at the same time. So you chunk the work up and you do the work in chunks of time. Pretty common for organizations to have two, maybe three week sprints where they basically put the work in the hopper and they say, all right, let's build this work, right? Let's design, build, test this work. And at the end of that, we should have potentially sellable product. People like to say shippable They like to say sellable. I like sellable product because that uh, steadfastly says we are building something that's solving that problem in the marketplace. Now, here's the first hurdle that we have to get over where confusion can creep in. And that is this. We identified work. We did the, the design build test. We have potentially sellable product. That doesn't mean we actually put it into the marketplace. And I think one of the places we get, we start to drift and blurring the lines between a sprint and where does it start and stop and a release and where does it start and stop is sometimes we think, well, we've built this thing, ergo, it must now go into the market. And that would be a real flag for somebody to press pause and say, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Is that right? Because we are now going to move that work product that we're looking at, and we're going to start talking about the release part and how we make that transition from the work product being produced in sprints to that release kind of conversation. So I'm going to pause there before we go into talking about releases, Rebecca, And you're going to tell me if any of that made sense or if I need to clarify anything for the audience. Right. No, I think that makes sense. Like It's a work chunk. It is generally defined by engineering and development. We usually, when we think about sprints, it is about breaking down bigger projects. But the idea of a sprint is that at the end of the sprint, you do have something sellable, shippable, delivering value. But I think the point is in the transition then to the next step of release, just because it is sellable doesn't mean it should go out for sale right now because just being done, not just being done, that sounds also judgy and I don't mean it that way, but being done in the code, right? Or being done on the product is not the same as being ready. And so again, sometimes that disconnects. So that's how I would reflect back what you said. If I did that wrong, uh, then. (laughs) No, that, that, you know what? It sounded great. So must, must have, um, must have made sense. Um, So code, right. Code complete isn't market necessarily put in the market. So here's the thing. One of the reasons why I think we start to run into a hurdle in that transition from sprints to releases is sometimes we become enamored with and super impressed 
with how effectively we've deployed Agile and how fast we have been able to build that product. And we think that that matters to the market. The the market is going to also be equally impressed by the fact that we happen to be very fast and we happen to be very agile in the way we produce stuff. And now this is sort of a spoiler alert. They don't care. The market literally could care less about your development methodology. They Mm -hmm. could care less if you've got a two-week sprint. They could care less about whether you've got a three-week sprint. All they care about is this. Did you build me something impactful that when I use it, it is going to make my life better? And are you going to give it to me at a time and a place where I'm ready, willing, and able to digest it? Hmm. And that, in a nutshell, is release planning. Release planning says, look, it's great that we're doing stuff and it's great we're doing stuff fast because that means we have bigger bundles of stuff to choose from to put into the marketplace. If you put your product into the marketplace where you don't have a big enough bundle to create the impact or you present it to your market at a time and a place where they simply can't consume it, Mm. it's going to fall flat and you've done your super fast work stream a complete disservice because what you've done is you've transitioned your thought process from I'm super great at doing fast work. Therefore my customers should care because I'm demonstrating to them that I'm super great at doing fast work, but they literally don't care. And so I I work in the education space, right? And we work with K through 12 public schools in the United States. Uh, They're not really dying for us to put out major, major releases in the middle of the school year. Yeah, Even if we have a release, not really, <laughs> they really, they really are not begging and pleading for us to put something out in the middle of the school year. So we've got kind of two windows of, of a big opportunity over the summer and over the winter break. Now, this is also where having a release taxonomy can come into play, right? So in general, work product that is put into the release cycle says major, minor, maintenance, hotfix. And The definition loosely behind each one of those is literally predicated on how much impact does it have on a customer? How much disruption will it have on a customer? And, you know, what, what is it, what's the customer's sensation with this bundle of work when we put it out in the market? Is it big? Is it small? Is it, I don't even notice. Is it, you better get it out fast because we have a bug in the software that has to be immediately fixed. And so, If you think about, you know, back to to our business model, major releases can't go out in the middle of the school year. Minor releases, they actually can. Maintenance releases, hot fixes, they actually can too. And so the discipline and the scheduling related to that different categorization of work is also critical because it also sets us up to move into the last part of this conundrum, which is the launch conversation. So, you know, just to, to go back and review before we move this or advance this conversation off on, you've done some stuff, you've got stuff ready to go into the marketplace, and now your release says, well, when should I actually think about putting it into the marketplace? How big or small is it? And when can my customer actually digest it? And am I queuing up the way that I'm representing things into the marketplace that, that creates alignment there? So you tell me if that all made sense, Rebecca. 
Absolutely. Let's go back though and make sure we also hit on the who, right? Oh, so you talked about the who. So who, 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 <laughs> who is driving the, the release planning discussions? Ah, an excellent question. And this is, this is a handoff. This is an exchange. And I'm really glad you paused me here because when we move from sprints into release planning, you now have a partnership, handoff, handshake from engineering development to product management. And the way that this conversation should go is something like this. Product manager, hey, engineering, can you tell me what I can have when based on the requirements that I provided you, based on what I know is going to solve a problem in the marketplace and is going to create impact for our customer, please tell me what I can have when. And engineering says, thank you very much, product manager. That is a wonderful question. Let me go do some t-shirt sizing and, you know, story pointing and unit of work assessments. I'm going to come back to you. And I'm going to tell you what you can have when. And the product manager is going to say, thank you very much. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that and I'm going to lay it over the schedule or the calendar that I know is true for our customers. I can promise you this. Intuit doesn't do any major tax software release in the middle of tax season. They don't do it. Hard lockdown, right? So the product manager is going to say, well, I know when our market is ready, willing, and able to accept the things that we're doing. You've told me what I can have when. I now am going to look at that and make a decision and say, we're going to release on this date. And based on what engineering has told me, I'm going to have this stuff available by that date. And everybody has had a very nice, lovely exchange. So the release conversation has one foot in engineering. And it has one foot in product management. But the ultimate decision maker, the ultimate arbiter of that conversation should be the product leader because they're the business owner. And where does product marketing fit in there? Ah, let's talk about product marketing because now we're going to start drifting into that launch conversation, Rebecca. And just like engineering and product management have a foot in both places and a partnership exchange you're going to see the same type of foot in both places and partnership exchange between the product manager and the product marketer. And that starts to uh, drift over into that third leg of the stool that we started the conversation with, and that is launch. Launch is really a business activity that says for certain work products, I want to create a big to-do in the marketplace when I put that thing into the marketplace, right? So a hot fix, a maintenance release, it's just not going to get the same level you of attention. A press and release that says- You don't want a press release. <laughs> right. You don't want to be like, no, hey, everybody, <laughs> we had all those bugs and now we've fixed them and we're putting out a press release. No, this would be a hard no. And same, you know, same thing, same thing for a maintenance release, likely, right? Major, major releases for sure. Minor releases, maybe, but this is where sort of having that taxonomy is helpful because it cues the rest of the organization up. And by the way, it's not just product marketing. I'm going to kind of expand that ask, uh, Rebecca, into other parts of the business, mm -hmm. sales, product mm -hmm. marketing, operations, 
uh, technical support, customer support, all those folks need to be party to the conversation at some point. So they've got preparedness for when something hits the market. So when customers start calling and asking about it, they actually know what's going on. And that's really where launch comes into play. Launch says, all right, now that I know I'm a product manager and I'm sitting in the middle with the releases, I know, I know what we have. I know when we're going to deliver it. I know how big it is. I'm now going to start to turn to other parts of the organization. And let's say it happens to be a work product that requires a launch. That means we have to have all of the componentry firing on all cylinders for when we put that into the marketplace. Sales uh, messaging has to have been developed, uh, product messaging, marketing messaging, press releases, training, everything required has to be in place. And then we've moved into launch and we can put that product actually out into the market and we know all of the componentry required to sell, market, and support it is in place to do that very thing. And so that's really where product marketing starts to come into play because the product manager is going to want to bring the product um, marketers, the support organizations, the sales organizations in on the conversation sometime before the product is actually launched, (laughs) ideally. And they're going to say, hey, you guys, just so you know, in you know, 30 days, 45 days, this bucket of work is going to be ready to be put into the marketplace. I'm going to show you what the bucket of work is. It may not be completely full. It may not be completely ready. I want you to start doing your work to get ready. I want you to start testing marketing messaging, developing positioning, building the sales tools so that when we as a cohesive team launch that product into the marketplace, all of the componentry is ready ready to go. So that's really becomes the moment in time where the product manager sort of sits in the middle of these exchanges says, all right, I'm now going to pivot and turn my attention to all the things we need to do to make sure that we're ready to put this into the marketplace. I'm not actually going to do the work, but I'm going to make sure the work is getting done. I'm going to make sure we've got our messaging, our positioning, sales training plans, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we've get, you know, we have go, no goes for all that. And when all of that is ready, willing, and able, I say go and we put that into the marketplace. So I really transition away from having that work product exchange conversation with engineering to pivoting to being more of that general manager business leader about how the things that we're building are going to go into the marketplace. And so it's just that simple, Rebecca. It's just that easy. <laughs> It's that easy. Clearly nobody ever then, you know, has a problem. We've got engineering doing work chunks. We've got product managers thinking about this is impactful enough and at a time when my users can consume it. And then you've got product, mar- and again, these are all cross about product marketing, thinking about launches as in here is a place where I want to make market noise and raise interest because there is particular value, probably not just to my users, but to buyers that we want to elevate and escalate. Three very clear swim lanes, no problems whatsoever, right? Uh, on paper. On paper. <laughs> <laughs> on paper, exactly. No, and we've all seen this. So where do you think what where do you think the tension points come in? You know, I always say our our everybody, the collective we, everybody, everybody represented in that value chain. Our destiny has been preordained from the moment we identify the market problem that has to be solved, we hopefully quantify it, and we convert that into a requirement 
that sort of kicks off the whole process of what we're going to build and set that whole value chain up. We just don't know that it's been preordained yet. Right. So so on some level, sales success, it has been predetermined when that requirement was written, except Mm -hmm. There's no way they know that it's been predetermined yet because they're so far removed. And so I think one of the biggest linchpins in all of this is making sure that you do your quantifiable, your qualitative research, identifying those market patterns, those trends, validating it, right? So doing your discovery, qualified discovery, quantified validation. And really making a concerted effort to ensure that what you're asking in the requirement actually is going to solve a problem in the marketplace. Because if we don't do that one thing effectively, you can start to see very quickly how it falls apart, right? We don't build the right things. When we put it into the marketplace, the customers don't want it. Sales finds it difficult to sell. And then what tends to happen is the blame game, right? Well, the problem isn't the product. The problem is you don't know how to sell the product. Come out with me on a sales call. I've tried to sell the product. I'm telling you it's not sellable. And once that moment happens, you've created a cultural conundrum that has to be overcome. So item number one in this conversation is really striving to get great requirements based on quantifiable market problems. Now, here's a really important cultural point to this conversation, because there's a cultural piece to this conversation. Nobody has a crystal ball. Your product leaders, they actually aren't clairvoyant. (laughs) They're going to do the best they can with the information they have available at the time. And guess what? They're going to be wrong. They're going to be wrong because, again, we're not clairvoyant. We don't have crystal balls. Honestly, buyers aren't always truthful. Mm -hmm. Users aren't always truthful. Weird things happen. Market shifts can happen quickly from when you did your market research to when you build something. One of the most important cultural landscapes that needs to be established in order for this to be successful is a healthy understanding and exchange between product leadership and the rest of the organization. Look, you guys, I'm going to do the best I can, but I'm going to give you requirements. And you know what? Sometimes those requirements may not be great. They may not be right. And so what I need is everybody in that value chain to have a healthy set, a healthy frame of reference for forgiveness that we're all just sort of doing the best we can. And sometimes that means we do stuff that isn't going to hit the mark sometimes. And, you know, by the same token, sometimes engineers set out to build something and the time it takes isn't what they thought it was going to take. Mm-hmm. And we all just need to have a healthy understanding of how to make that adjustment. And, yeah. you know, so I think getting that market data in a reasonable place with the best available information at the time is critical but then also having a super healthy value chain understanding of imperfection and forgiveness and iterating together to say, well, I don't think this is going to work and and really trying to resist that finger pointing. Because if you've arrived at that place in that exchange and that value chain, I mean, success is almost, it's not going to happen. Right. And the person who's really suffering in that equation is your customer, because, well, you're over here trying to figure all that out. They're still wanting. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, it's hard. It's hard because everybody wants a blueprint that's going to be exacting and guarantee 
right? That's why we do all sorts of market research, because what we're really trying to do is risk mitigation. And we're really trying to assure ourselves that whatever we do is going to have a guaranteed success and a guaranteed outcome. And I'm just going to say it's the wrong mindset. And it just sort of goes back to where we started the conversation that says, look, and this is what I tell my teams all the time. Here's, here it is, you guys. We got, we're going to do some stuff. And then some of the stuff we do is going to work and we're going to keep doing that stuff. And then some of the stuff we do isn't going to work. And then we're going to go, isn't that amazing? What we thought was going to work didn't work. And we're going to learn tenfold from that. And so we're actually probably going to celebrate that stuff even more than the stuff that does work. And then we're going to definitively stop doing it. Right. So do do the stuff. Keep doing the stuff that is the stuff that works. Get the huge lessons learned from the stuff that's not working. Healthy conversations about it. And then stop doing that stuff. And so I think that sort of leads us to a little bit of the end of the value chain here, which we didn't, we didn't talk, but you know how I like to slide extra credit things in. So now yeah, I'm going bonus, bonus to make a, right. I'm going to uh, bonus points, uh, the bonus point round. I'm going from a three-legged to a four-legged stool retrospectives. Retrospectives are really critical, right? What went right? What went wrong? What could we do better? And those just have to be a super open, honest conversation. I find retrospectives are super Helpful if people only really approach the retrospective from the perspective of themselves versus others. If you come to the retrospective and you're like, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this versus, you know, what would be really helpful to me is if I could get X or if I could get Y versus you need to do this, you need to do that. And I think just that kind of verbiage change in a retrospective can be super helpful. I think one of the other places that I see a lot with our customers is one of the other breakdowns between sprints, releases, and launches is the communication, Mm -hmm. right? And it's, it's really having regular conversations about where those projects are so you know where to start your piece, right? And so we talk about engineering is talking to to product management and there's constant conversations, right? And then project management is talking to product marketing. But in those connection points, as it becomes more and more clear for engineering and their deadlines become more and more solid, as does the what they're delivering, right? Product management's knowledge comes in there and then they have to build the bridge with product marketing. And there's a point where like, if they're not kept in the loop, it takes too long for their understanding to get clear enough that they could go. So it ends up being, even though we have the best development agile process, it ends up being from a business perspective, really waterfall for a lot of these companies because those handoffs become like, you know, development's like, I'm done. I'm so depressed. I'm done. And it's not hitting the market. And the sales and marketing people are like, we have a thing. We're having a thing. We're having a thing. And like, they can't do that tomorrow. Right. And so that that breakdown of the communication is it's really frustrating for every layer. And it also means that no matter to some extent, you could build the right thing and build it well, but because there are these breakoffs and these hard handoffs, it just that either the the timeline is so long that the return to value doesn't seem obvious. It's like, well, that wasn't successful. And you're like, well, we didn't actually tell anyone about it <laughs> until down here because it's so sort of waterfall in the communication between those three. Yeah, you know, okay, so this is this is something else. I think you've just hit the nail on the head. What would be really great? So here here's what happens. Sometimes we have not developed our professional maturity with Agile the way that it requires. And what I mean by that is this. 
If I let people in sooner to see stuff that may or may not come out the back end exactly the way that I'm showing it to them earlier, it makes me nervous because Mm -hmm. it's risky because if it doesn't come out that way, I don't want to find myself answering a lot of questions. I want to wait. I want to hold things close to the vest until I know it's really tight. I know it's really good. I know it's really done done because I'm worried about letting people in too soon. And I also don't want a bunch of people trying to sort of armchair quarterback me in my job. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually going to sort of set up the water scrum fall kind of methodology, right? Where I've got to figure out how the way you avoid that is you allow people in sooner in the iterative work, but they get to, when they come in sooner, they have to say, thank you very much for allowing me in sooner. I fully understand I am sort of a voyeur at this moment and you're letting me in sooner so I can start to get a sense for what's coming my way. I fully understand and respect it may not be fully baked. I fully understand and respect it may change. And I'm just going to sort of be a fly on the wall and appreciate that you're giving me visibility sooner so that I at some point is am going to have some sort of iterative overlap that when your stuff gets close enough, I start doing all of my iterative work. I start developing my positioning, my messaging, my sales tools, my customer support training. And I'm going to start iterating on that too, right? Alongside it. So there's a there's a Venn diagram overlap of circles here, right? And in order for that to happen, it requires an immense amount of trust. And it requires an immense amount of professional maturity that people aren't going to run too far too fast with information that may change. And that there's going to be enough time allotted to allow people to do their iterative work as well. And so it's a big ask for human nature to say, you know, it's kind of like, I, I don't know, I'm trying to think of if you've ever, you know, maybe put on an outfit for somebody And you're not fully dressed yet, right? My niece is getting married here in a month or so. And, you know, I saw pictures of the, of the wedding dress and, you know, of course there then comes the, well, but you know, and here's how I'm going to do my hair and here's how I'm going to do this. And it's not exactly the way it's going to be. And, you know, starting to explain why that's not exactly the way that it is. And, you know, that's kind of that sensation. If you feel like you're putting something out a little bit prematurely, you sort of have to start explaining that it, why it's not perfect yet. And you shouldn't have to do that explanation. You should have to say, I'm asking you to come in a little bit early. Just know it's going to be imperfect and I'll let you know when it's going to be dialed in. And then that's really going to be your signal. Does that make sense? It does. And I think on the other side, if you are someone who is trying to design a handbag to go with that dress scenario, right? This is also, it's difficult on both ends. It's the, I don't want to let people in early because I'm afraid they're going to be mad. But it's also, it's, it's, another, it's, it's another thing that's outside of human nature. And it's a skill you have to build as a dress designer or a handbag designer to want to see the dress and work on ideas, but right. no, you can't finalize it to the end. Because if I right. just go, oh, it's, it's, it's in progress and progress and progress. It's, when it's perfect, it's not the time for me to start designing the handbag. It's the time for me to be like, oh yeah, these were the four details I knew I needed to wait 
for that final to go to. Right. That's right. really tough, right? And when you're yeah. talking, you know, marketing communications and you're trying to you're trying to do everything, right? You're trying to name the product and build the brand and 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 you 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 know, knowing when the weight is far enough, right? Yeah. Like weight is there enough to start to move. Um, and same thing with salespeople, working on their sales tools, but also working on starting to have those conversations. When is like, why did you tell them to, haven't you told them yet? <laughs> like, right. Convey right. I, moments. I mean, Rebecca, I think about, um, I think about when I interact with, when my boss asks me, asks me for a work deliverable that's going to inevitably result in a PowerPoint, right? Because, um, you know, who can't get enough PowerPoint, really? And so he, you know, he'll, 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 what what I love about the the process there, and this is applicable to what we're talking about, is I never build a PowerPoint first. He'll be like, I need blah 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 blah, and I'm like, great, let me get 15 minutes on your calendar, and I'll say, all right, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking the outline or the story goes something like this. Am I hunting in the right direction? He's like, yes. Then I'll put together something pretty tragic, you know, like a black and white a little bit of words on a paper so he can sort of see it in writing and I'll shoot it back over to him. And then he'll be like, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Then I'll give him really the clean version. Why? And that's how I like to work with my team too. Here's why. Sometimes people feel like when you're producing a work product, it has to be pristine the first time out. But the reality of the situation is that's almost impossible. If I had spent, what I like about that process is if I had spent a month trying to create the perfect as though I'd have a month to do something, but let's say <laughs> a week to put together the perfect thing. When I take it to him, it's still not going to be right. Something about it isn't going to be right. He's not going to, something about it isn't going to resonate. It's not what he had in his mind. I'm not translating it well. I'm just saving us both a ton of time. And he's a super willing participant for me to just go, hey, I'm sort of thinking about this. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. So by the time I finish him the work product, it's almost always just a rubber stamp, right? And so I think that's sort of that mindset we've got to get into with each other is I want to start bringing you imperfection and that's going to make us work faster together. And then it's all going to come together at some point. But if I bring you in there, the likelihood that when it all comes together, the success is greater. The likelihood that it, when it all comes together, there is success goes way up versus if you try to fully bake it and then start sharing that with the rest of the organization. Yep. Does that make sense? I don't feel like that Absolutely. was the best analogy, but you know, you get the point. I do. I do. Also, I felt like you and I should drift away from like designing handbags because- if anybody knows me, I've had the same purse for like 10 years. So I don't we were starting to steadfastly yeah, get out. I, know. I was like, I don't know why the bride my- has a purse. I don't know. I was- like, this seems highly improbable, but yes. <laughs> I'm like, how did Rebecca and I get on this um, analogy? It's just, uh, we probably should not be doing it. We, so. we are not qualified for that discussion. No, we are not. Made, I could have made shoes. That would have made fun. There you go. All right. So it sounds like remembering clear definition of all three of those, clear understanding of sort of who manages those and the handoffs they need are really, really critical. Also, I think, uh, as you kind of said, like if you don't start with the right requirement and need, it doesn't matter how good the process is, the thing at the end is not good, right? Like if you're not building the right thing, you could build it wonderfully. Great job building the wrong thing. Um, (laughs) And then also, yeah, the cultural pieces that overlay all of this, right? that there are three parts and three owners and handoffs, but what makes this really, really work 
is a culture where there is lots of communication, lots of understanding that things will and change and have to change. And that's not a mistake. That's not, oh my gosh, you got it wrong. That is part of the process. That is fundamentally kind of what it means to be agile is I'm going to do this and I'm going to learn along the way. Uh, and sometimes it's going to be wrong and kind of looking communication wise between groups and just as like a retrospective. And, and there is no matter how carefully we define this process, if we're not working as a team, that process doesn't work. No. And it takes a ton of, of trust. It takes a ton of forgiveness and it takes a ton of elasticity. And it really, really, and when I say trust, not having a punitive work scenario where why did you miss that date on the release? How could it possibly have happened? Versus, well, I know we'd hoped we were going to hit this date. Now it looks like we may not. Let's figure out, let's figure out what does that mean now, right? Two totally different things, but the same outcome is going to be achieved. And so, you know, that trust foundation is just critical. Awesome. All right. Always good to talk to you, Kirsten. We talked about lots of different things. You know what my question is going to be? Uh Two things people should do differently tomorrow based on what we talk about today. Oh, you always end with these questions and oddly, I'm never prepared to answer them. I know, you'd think like after the first time, you're like, gosh, Um, she uses that question at the end. (laughs) Oh, Lord. I mean, here's what I would say is I would say one thing I would love people to do is really reflect and ask yourself, do we really have a trust-based value chain here? And if the answer is no, I would really love people to sit down in a room together, be authentic, and try to unpack that. If you don't think that that's something you're capable of doing on your own as an organization, there's a great program, the Five Dysfunctions of a Team. If you, it's a book. It's it's a there's a guy who wrote the book, Patrick Lincioni. I'm not affiliated in any way. I just like the book. I've been through the training. Um, they do the company's called the Table Group, and they do the five dysfunctions of a team training. And they'll take they'll take a team of people through and create a trust based organization. So if you feel like you need some outside help, bring in some outside help. But I'm here to tell you, if you don't solve for that piece, the rest of it literally doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You can have as many races. You can have taxonomies for release definitions. You can sprint till your heart's content. But if you don't have that piece figured out, the rest of it just literally doesn't matter. And then I would say the second thing I would love people to do is really reflect and say, do we have really a clear articulation between the difference between a major release and a minor release? And do we have a clear articulation for what all parts of the organization are going to do for that? And do we have a clear articulation for the schedule for each of those? Because if everybody just had that blueprint, it takes a lot of questions immediately off the table because you're already working from the same blueprint. So I know that those, one was a big, big ask, the trust space piece. That's a tough one, really tough. If you can achieve it, you'll have the best moment ever in your career. I've achieved it a few times in my career and it's uh, it's amazing. It's intoxicating. Um, and I've lived the other side of the fence and it's not fun. Nobody loves it. Nobody thinks it's mm-hmm. fun. And if you can really kind of get get clarity on the blueprint, I think that will go a long way to helping folks. Great. Oh, Kirsten, it is always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing your expertise, your insights, your good examples, uh, and your humility when we talk about where we haven't always done it right. Always appreciate that. 
Well, you know, I just always love a chance to come visit with you guys. And I really appreciate you as always uh, taking the time to, to have me. Awesome. All right. That does it for today's episode, everyone. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. <laughs>